Welcome to the Dealmaker Show, the number one place for entrepreneurs and dealmakers to learn about leveraging and generating status, frame control, and narrative power to close big deals. Here is your host, investment banker, deal-making expert, and best-selling author of Pitch Anything and Flip the Script, Mr. Oren Claff. Great. Hey, good morning, good afternoon. I'm Oren Claff. This is the Dealmaker Show. Familiar with me from my book, Pitch Anything, which I and find some people to bring to this show who are very interesting in and of themselves. I have a great guest today. I don't know if he's great. He looks great. He looks great, and you're going to be shocked. He's wearing a white T-shirt. Blew me away. Uh, no, but this guy we have on the show, the Dealmaker Podcast. We have dealmakers, and I, I really view Neil as a kingmaker. I mean, he can drive traffic. He can decide whether you live or die with your website, the kingmaker. And so I want to talk to him about web traffic, about sales, about deals, and about life and really the culture we're in, what's wrong with it, what's right with it, and what are the opportunities next for marketers uh, in whatever kind of product you're in. So I'd like to introduce Neil Patel. Neil, welcome to the Dealmaker Show. Thank you for being here. I know you're busy and stuff. Uh, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Um, I know you're busy as well, so thank you for making the time. Yeah, I mean, you appreciate it now, but hour and be like god damn it what I, I know not to i know not to say during those shows all right so so listen um for the for the one person that's not familiar with you you are just one of the top 10 marketers one of the number one marketers just you know how to drive traffic through various mystical processes and so at the bottom layer, I think people get SEO and that is your expertise, right? Uh, by the way, uh, if you're not familiar with Neil, just uh, go to his website. Is it neilpatel.com? Was that? Yeah. Yeah. So, so what happens, you're not going to learn a lot of stuff there, but here's what you will experience there. You will go to that website and you'll be inside of a brand and you'll just be like tumbling through this rabbit hole and like your email will get sucked out of you and you'll be signed up and then you'll be in content that's engaging and then you'll be a customer and you will just not see that to me is really like what marketing marketing funnels are today is you're tumbling down the cyber wormhole and you don't even feel you can't see the mechanics happening right so what is the difference in your mind having that i have so many questions for you but in a site like yours where you just go to it and what are the mechanics happening where you just feel yourself subsumed in the in the 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 desire to learn and get stuff i just feel like i'm getting stuff for myself i don't care what i'm giving up because my give it is so much smaller than what i feel like i'm getting and then i'm just in your wormhole how did you make that happen so the key that i always love saying is you know with good marketing, you may look at good marketing campaigns. You're like, oh, wow, that's memorable. That's amazing. That looks cool. Great marketing doesn't seem like marketing at all. And that's the key. You want to market and you want to market so well that it doesn't seem like marketing. That's how you succeed. So I'm going to give you examples of this. If you go to neilpatel.com, you'll find there, you know, a lot of blog content that just educates, even video content that educates and teaches you how to do different marketing tactics, whether it's SEO or social media or digital marketing, it doesn't matter, we teach it all. And there's also a lot of tools. So we'll have opt-ins like, hey, do you wanna just go to a newsletter? Hey, you know, you're reading all this information, do you want my team to just help you and do it for you, right? And people click on consulting and opt-in from there. Then there's, Hey, you want to see what's wrong with your website and what you need to do to get more traffic? Sure, put in URL and it'll tell you all these things are wrong. It'll be like, oh, by the way, do you want to just fix it for you? Put in your information, schedule a call with one of our sales reps, right? So we do a lot of stuff that provides value and it provides so much value that you have no issue giving us your information to schedule a call with our sales team. That's the key because then it doesn't feel like marketing. Got it. And I think there's sort of a misunderstanding today of what value is. Like if you go back to your stuff and by the way, for those of you who are familiar with Neil and a lot of people, you know, seen this announced, 
and they'd be like, yeah, you know, um, Neil's just very cool, calm and collected. He's just going to give you the digital version of all the answers. You know, try not to get him riled up. He's going to be drinking water. There's not going to be vodka in that bottle. So don't worry. But fuck you. I went back through some of your older material, you know, way back to 2018. This guy right here is a stand-up comedian as good. Uh, maybe he doesn't have a 40-minute show, but he's got jokes. So we're going to try and push him a little bit out of his comfort zone from going, yeah, you know, if you do SEO marketing, uh, traffic will come to your site and then you, you know, offer <laughs> value, uh, the, the, you know, there's some SEO tools that you can get on uh, our SEO thing. And then you sign up and uh, next thing you know, we'll market to you and we try and convert you. No, we're not doing that, but we're going to do that for a minute. Uh, so, so people are confused. <laughs> people are confused about value, right? So how do you view, what is it? What are, how do you box in, value so so if somebody goes uh you know we have a SaaS software company and this is what uh we, we sell accounting software that can dig into your um accounting and trigger flag anything that looks like it's audit bait you know there's going to create an audit yeah. and we sell that to customers right and so but um uh so they come to you and they go all right well step one we got to offer value how how what's the formula for value in your mind it's really simple let me ask you this question if I was giving you this, you know, a, a guide to turning on and off your iPhone, would you find that valuable? No, you're like, who gives a shit? I can turn on and off my iPhone whenever I want. Well, I, my <laughs> wife would, my wife would find that valuable. Just when you know, <laughs> but yes, I understand. <laughs> but then on the flip side, if I said, hey, do you want this free, you know, 60 inch TV, heck even 40 inch TV, brand new out of the box, you'd be like, yeah, sounds good. Who would say no to that? If they know that, I don't know what's wrong with you. Because worst case, you can take that and resell it on eBay and make some money. The point I'm trying to get across is if someone would pay for it, it's valuable. And a great example of that is if you're taking that accounting SaaS company, if you do some analysis on their QuickBooks or whatever it is and you tell them what's wrong and people would have to pay account to do that and your software whipped it up in like five minutes, people are like, great. Orin, you're amazing. Thank you. You just saved me some time and money. And that's what's of value. So anything people would normally pay for that you can figure out how to give for free, that's golden. Blog content, eh, everyone has blog content. YouTube content, eh, everyone has YouTube content. Maybe you create it in a structured format like a course where everyone can learn everything. They don't got to pay that $20, $50 on Udemy or $1,000 on someone selling a course. That's somewhat value. People will dig that or that tool that you're giving away for free that people normally have to pay a hundred dollars for that's value. So you got to take it from that perspective. Uh, okay. Well, thank you very much for being here. This has been a great program and I really like, we have, we've delivered value. Why should we do anything else? Um, all right. So, so, but there's more to get, I think the, you have a brand that is very clearly identified. And for some reason, I've just been talking to a lot of branding people. We're helping a branding company do sales. I want to talk about sales in a little bit, but I've developed this thesis that a brand today is like the, um, the, re the reputation you have, mass exposure, like the things you do, mass exposure with some good, clean graphic design. And there's your brand. Is there more really in your mind to branding than that? You work. There's tons more to it. The easiest okay. answer is, as Jeff Bezos said, it's what people say or how they talk about you when you're not in the room or your company's not in the room. Or but that's fine. There. But how do you control that? Like your brand, did you make, con yeah. how do you control what people say and think about you with your you know, with your, the fundamental tools you have, your fonts, your colors, your images, and, and really, um, be, because if you're Lululemon, right, you, you're just think about it. Like your brand choices are so limited. Like, do, did they develop a brand? It's a good example. Did they develop a brand or did they just go, Hey, we have hot pants. Well, if we have hot pants, we're going to put attractive models in it. Well, if we're going to put attractive models in it, we're going to have them doing yoga. Okay, if we're going to have them doing yoga, well, let's put them in a cool studio with bamboo and, uh, you know, water cooler and cucumber drinks. If we're going to do that, let's get some fucking good fonts on there that don't look like um, uh, tune, cartoon fonts, right? Yeah. 
all right, so, hey, if we're going to all this effort, let's get a real design firm to give it some, you know, Apple white space. Oh, we have a good brand. Like, really, they, I mean, they couldn't put tractor trailers. Like, how much of a conscious decision could they really do? They've got a, and, I, and I'm not a cuffed avatar, and, uh, but, but you know, women, before they went into men, right? Women who work out and do yoga and, and want to be comfortable and want a higher fabric aesthetic than Target or Walmart. I mean, it's just what brand choices do they get to make? Yeah, it, what I see most companies do, this is not the answer you want to hear, but this is the reality for most people. They end up taking the approach of like, oh, let's just throw up a website, whatever color schemes the designer picks, whatever logos or whatever we have or whatever competition is using, something cool like that. Right. Or pick something around the web that they like and be like, I want to be like that. Right. And they pop it up and go from there. Right. That's but what I'm saying. Grow and you make more money and you start doing more sales, you'll then have the attitude of, is my font easy to read? Do my colors really appeal to my target audience? Does my branding and identity, what do people really think when they look at our logo, right? Is it cartoony? Do we have too much cartoony stuff going on? Or do we want to be resembled as, you know, safe and secured and old school, more like an IBM so people turn to not, us all the right, time? Not to cut you off, but you go, hey, we have some money. Let's interview some San Diego ad agencies. This one looks good. They, you know, they did the site for... Uh, Purell and they did the site for, um, you know, uh, Nike and they did some work for Adidas and they did some work for the NHL and whatever. And fuck it. I like these guys. Let's give them our brand. And they come in with a couple designs. You go, I like this one. And boom, we, you know, we have a brand like that's how it happens. Is there more magic? I'm trying to find someone who goes, it, there's it, more it, magic it, than that. It really isn't, you know, People right. will tell you about all these identity and brand books and perceptions. And I'm not saying branding is not important, but I will tell you this. I've seen so many people tweak their brands, spend hundreds and thousands, millions of dollars on it, on logos and all that. And we've done A-B tests on the conversions. And in like 99.99% of the time, I kid you not, it doesn't do crap to their revenue or their sales. Fuck you. You are amazing. Hold on a second. I like, I have been saying this for like, I've talked to these, all these brand agencies and there's, and there's, there's magic, McMagic, the magic. And, where the and, magic is, is yeah. where the magic is. Yeah. Is when your brand's memorable. Right. And here's what I mean by that. Like yeah. people can identify the check mark in Nike. It's unique, right? If they can remember your logo, your brand, what your company does, that's great. But you got to spend a shit ton on advertising. Excuse my language. Yeah ton of money on advertising and marketing to have everyone know that Nike is just do it and that they're athletic. That didn't happen overnight. They've been around for ages. Phil Knight started selling shoes in the trunk of his car. You know how many sports athletes are wearing that check mark on their shoes or their jerseys, right? Everyone knows what Nike is now, but it wasn't right. that memorable of a brand when they first started off. You yeah. spend enough money on advertising and marketing right. and you have a good product then you'll have a brand. We we meet so many companies who have a logo and they literally got it from Logo Monster. They licensed it for $8, you know, or they owned it for $49 from Logo Monster, but it just has so much uh, uh, distribution and repetition that they turned it in their brand. So I, I yes. But, but here's, here's the funniest part. Just like you mentioned the Logo Monster and stuff like that when we first started creating our logo, it's just text. It just says NP digital. You know, like straight up, it's just text. You pick a phone, be like, yeah, this looks good. Throw it up on a website and then go from there. People like it. Eventually you fine tune it here and there. But I kid you not, every time we made changes to it, our sales don't go down, but they don't go up either. There's really no difference. Thank you. And, and I, I would say there's caveats to it. If you're a Nike or Coca-Cola or Pepsi, sure. Maybe it can affect you negatively, but let's face it. That's not 99.99% of us. Thank you. Neil, what's wrong with Instagram today? What's going on there? What's wrong with it? What do you mean what's wrong with Instagram? Other than for B2B, it doesn't convert well. B2C, it converts well for D2C, but it's hard to get a lot of leads from Instagram because you can't get people on your site. Instagram doesn't like you posting stuff that gets them on the site. Yeah, you can do swipe ups in your stories and you can end up doing links in your bio, but that's really it. So uh, let me interpret that for the big dummies who hang around me. If you're selling a calendar, 
of firemen with their shirt off holding puppies, then Instagram is magically where you should be. Yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> you got right. Uh, on, on the oh, you're selling ties, you're selling t-shirts, pants, clocks. You know, a device that helps your posture makes you sit up more, right? Like that all do well on Instagram. Probably should sit up a little bit more now. But you get the point. It it's like you want to go sell something to Oracle. You're not going to do well from Instagram. You may from LinkedIn. Uh LinkedIn. Yeah. So so good. Then you you know if you look at your stuff. It's very antiseptic. You don't dive into culture wars. I don't see much about your kids. I think you have kids. Two kids. Uh, two kids. Well, how? What are the ages? Two and zero. Two and zero. Right. Um, congratulations. So you're late in life with kids. I'm as well. I'm a seven year old. And uh, so, so as you th think about and, and so you don't do much culture. You don't jump in the culture wars. You know. Um, does. We have people who are in charge of culture and stuff like that for office environment and stuff like that. But personally, no, I, I, don't, I don't get, and I think what you're trying to say is I don't get too personal on like the Instagrams or the social networks where I'm just like, oh, check out my life and here's what's happening. And look at like every once in a while I'll post family pictures and stuff, but it's not me. My personal life is my personal life. I try to keep it private. I'm not saying that's wrong or right. It's just who I am. So well, let me throw something in front of you. I'm sort of, we, we, you know, I've probably worked with 80,000 salespeople. We do a lot of sales development, revenue growth, you know, going to a company, I know the product. Yeah. You work with us. Okay. Well, I'm, well, I was telling other people, not you. Okay. Um, so I, I have to say your stuff works. Our sales guys no. close more and close better because of it. So thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Uh, it does work. And so we do a lot of sales development. And so hear me out. And I'd like to get your opinion. I'm sort of developing this thesis and kind of where things are going next, because you can in sales and in marketing and in SEO and in technology and in web pages sort of stagnate uh, on what's happening now and get caught. It's very hard to shift into the next cultural new, you, you could shift technology you can shift um, in basic language, but if you get caught flat-footed in the cultural nuances of web and sales, and someone like ClickFunnels is going to come, you know, behind you, and you go, "What the fuck just happened? How is this a company?" Right? Because if you took Russell Brunson goes down to Sand Hill Road and he goes to True Ventures and Kleiner Perkins and Crosslink and walks up, and they're like, Did, "Who let this guy in here?" Right? And then he goes, fuck you. I might just go ahead and build a $200 million company uh, based on a technology called nothing. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, called. He did it though. He's he did well. it. So you could get caught flat footed. Uh, and so I try and think about what's going to happen next. I'm developing this thesis. I want to run by you. I think it's leftover from the 1950s of sort of the IBM, IBM International Business Machine salesman goes into uh, Procter and Gamble, right? And he looks like everyone else. You, he gives the presentation on the IBM uh, brand and sensibility and capability and product and the machine. And he leads. You don't know who he is. You don't know what he cares about. You don't know what his values are. You don't know what he does on the weekend. You don't know if he has nine kids and he's an uh, um, Orthodox Jew. You don't know if he's Comanche Romanian uh, and, a, and a Buddhist. And you literally... But I don't think it works today that you can disconnect the person from the product because we're, we're I feel like we're fracturing away from this. Uh, I am the corporate salesperson for the corporation to deliver the value because the person is so much of the value today. But I wanted to ask you about that. Like, would you let your salespeople put more and more of them jet skiing, of their kids, you know, at K1, uh, go-karting, of, of integrating their personality into the sales presentations um, to achieve differentiation and sort of stronger uh, um, relationship with the client? Or do you just want them coming in IBM style talking about NP Digital. 
I think it varies on your business. And here's what I mean by that. If you're dealing with the IBMs and the Cisco's of the world, they're more cookie cutter, um, not cookie cutter. They're more professional business. If you're dealing with SMBs and people who are the ones who are signing checks to you and you're not going through procurement and legal and all these divisions to get a contract and RFPs, I think you need that personal touch. I don't think there's anything wrong with the personal touch. I think it also can work if you're trying to close the Microsofts and the IBMs and the Cisco's as well, but it's not really necessary for those. But I do think integrating some of those personal touches to the SMB market is really important because people want to jive with who they're working with. It doesn't matter if they're paying for accounting software or services. People like giving money to people that they like. People hate giving money to pricks. But so, so, okay, but let me put some pressure on this. Uh, you have what I would call a non-needy organization. As we're working with you, right? You can the the Procter and Gamble can come offer you a six hundred thousand dollar account, and there's some things about it you don't like, and you just go pass. I'm not interested, right? But uh, well, I don't know. Um, probably I'm, not. We have four hundred fifty nine employees. We have a lot of expenses, so okay. we can provide results and we can do well for the client. We wouldn't want to pass. But but if let's say you can provide results, but they're providing signals that they're difficult to work with that they, they do some weird accounting practices that you don't believe in. Uh, we wouldn't take it on. It doesn't matter. We, well, we have the luxury to. Like okay. we get a lot of companies that hit us up that they have money. I just wouldn't work with them because I know my employees may have issues. And I'm not saying we would or would not work with them, but I don't want to put people on my team in a place where they're working on stuff they don't like. So like, here's uh, the problem. Orrin Claff big fat pipeline lots of people know him want to work with him luxury of being not needy neil patel you know lots of pipeline you know if it if it drops off the the first page of google on your inbox you know then the lead is gone because another one is going to drop in not not needy <laughs> maybe not 100 accurate but uh uh not needy at all and has the luxury of lots of pipeline big brand good traffic great reputation people want to work with them and say no another one will drop in opportunity what in your mind can companies do today to not signal neediness from the website but also in person when they actually you know sort of feel like they need the account well i like turning it here's what i mean by that if you come to us right or we do cold outreach and go to you in many cases, people will think, hey, you're pitching me. Let's say I do cold outreach. We have SDRs or BDRs, whatever you want to call them, that actually do cold outreach to companies and we're pitching them. So no matter what, the moment they respond and they see that cold email, we come off as needy. I'm assuming right. you agree with that, right? But when we get on the phone with them, you know, I like being very transparent and I try to turn the tables. Here's what I mean by that. I'd be like, look, Oren, we analyze your site. As you can see in the email, there's a lot of low hanging fruit. Um, and we may go through a discovery call and ask you questions be like, look, we'd love to potentially give you a pre presentation and work with you. But first, we need to make sure that we can hit your goals and provide you the results that you're looking for. And we try to turn it around and more so it's like, give us information. How can we help you? And then be like, let us analyze. And if we can do it, we'll come back to you and we'll work together. If we can't, we'll tell you, you be on your own way. But we're not here to just say, Hey, Oren, give us your money. Our big thing is if we can help you and drive you more than what you're paying us and we can make it profitable, cool, we'll work with you. If not, then we're not a right fit for you and we don't want to work with you, right? And most people will come back and be like, yeah, that sounds good. Analyze my business. Tell me how much more money you can make me. And then we'll do it and then we'll break it down. And then a lot of people may say, well, that's not in my budget. And be like, that's fine. Then don't do it. And they'll be like, wait, 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 wait. You know, can we negotiate? like, well, this is my cost, so I can't really go lower. If you want me to go lower, I can, but I'm going to give you less, and then you're not going to hit these results. This is what it takes for you to hit these results. If you want it, great. If not, I totally understand. I don't want to pitch you on something for, for a service that's not going to get you the results that you're looking for, and I know what I need to charge to do it profitably with healthy low margins. So it's like, if you want to work together, great. If not, I understand. Just keep going on the way with your business and have the trajectory that you have. But if you want faster growth, we're here. So thank you for saying that. This isn't a webinar, but I would just like to point out to people 
this is where you want to be. Neil Patel flying around in a Global Express, petting his white baby tiger, uh, you know, wearing black sunglasses, eating caviar um, with, you know, uh, 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 Russian oligarchs discussing, you know, how to buy oil companies on either side and a sculpture, uh, you know, sculpturing a bust of him in gold. Uh, and uh, so, so that's where you want to be so you can say things like that. Ideally, although I don't have the Global Express, sadly. Uh, not eating caviar, I don't have the tiger that I can pet. You don't have a and, white baby uh, tiger? Come on. I don't have a white baby tiger. I don't even have a, a dog. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go back in time, you know, to Neil Patel, you know, 2011. Is that far, is that far enough back in time? Yeah, that's 10 years. That's a long time. 10 years. Let's and, go for it. Imagining how my yeah. life was like ten years and so, ago. So, so you're on on the phone with, um, trying to think, you know, who would be good at that time? That that would be a good get for you, you know. Well, probably, uh, you know, Hugo's hot dogs in near the stadium. But let's give you some credit. Sandisk, you get Sandisk. All right, oh, right. They're still a big company, and big they were company. a big company back then too. Yeah, and so they go, uh, "Hey, Neil." Uh, you know, would like your reputation in SEO. Uh, it does seem like you could help increase traffic to our site. That is important to us. We're looking to grow, but uh, it's just too expensive the way that you've framed it out. But now this is t this is 10 years ago, Neil, who, who needs the account, you know, who, 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 um, who wants so, it, who wants it. Now what happens? If I don't really have any clients and I need the revenue, I may yeah. budge a little bit and I'd be like, look, you know, let me see what we can do. This is tough. And if they give us some inclinations on what they want us to go down, I'll try to go a little bit, but not to whether they want. Um, Cause you don't want to go all the way. You always want to try to get them to meet you halfway, but I'd be a little bit flexible and I'll try to reduce scope. And if they don't want me to, and I can still make the numbers work, I would take a deal. Okay. Because well, that's shit. You gotta that, get a few deals that, to uh, get get what you want in life. No, that's shit. Don't do that. that I disagree with that. You should have called me back then in two thousand when 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 you were looking at that Sandisk account back then. I, I feel like, <laughs> I well, th look, this is your interview, but I, I feel like, uh, for me, I would say, hey, listen, totally understand, but you have Neil Patel on the phone, right? What you need is Sam Smith right? Uh, in our department, he's going to take care of you. So, so I push it down. You have that. He's brilliant at these accounts. He's going to take care of you. This pricing level works down there for a limited scope. And so rather than staying in conflict with them, uh, push it down to another person in your organization. I, I agree with that either way. So if someone won a reduction in budget, whether it was 11 years ago, 15 years ago, my day one, when I first started, I was more flexible, yeah. but I still wouldn't give them what they wanted for that price. I would try to reduce it some way, whether I give them a cheaper account manager or whether I give them a lower scope or instead of weekly calls, I give them calls every other week. And I'll try to present it in a way in which like, Hey, you can still get what you want, but we just got to adjust how you, we get you there instead of just giving you what you want and everything. Cause the moment you cave on every little thing, it's never ending. This is slippery slope and it just does not stop. Fet fetch me another rock. Uh, I'll you tell know, you something. That's really what does happen. Yeah. But yes. No matter what, it doesn't matter where you are in your cycle. We would always adjust. I don't care if I'm day one or now, even now, sometimes when people try to negotiate, we'll see if we can actually negotiate with them. But we always try to adjust the scope or figure out how we can make it happen that creates a win-win situation instead of a win-lose situation. And that's a key. Everyone's just like when they negotiate with you, let's say you deal with procurement, they just wanted a win-lose situation. We always make it where it's a win-win situation. And that is the key. Or if you know that you're going to go and deal with a company that's always going to negotiate, charge them way more on the entry because you know that they're going to negotiate. So that way, when you do negotiate them down, it's the normal price that you would have quoted anyways. I mean, let me, can I post a comment on our own thing? Can I comment on our own podcast? Right. Cause anchor high. If you're going here, here's fuck. If you're, if you're going into an enterprise, you know, fortune 500 fortune 2000 company, 
they have a very slow procurement cycle, right? So no matter what you do, they're not going to chop you off. You can do the craziest, weird things. They're going to stay in negotiation with you. So if you anchor high, you don't really like have the decision maker that can just say, hey, we're not interested. They're still going to communicate with you and work with you. Anchor high because they have a procurement process. The procurement process is really reverse negotiation. Their, their only job is to reduce the price up. from whatever you anchored it to. Yeah. Beat you up. That's how they enjoy life, right? Is, you know, is, here's the best procurement. Yeah. Okay, so I was dealing with a procurement. We deal with procurement a lot. And these people get compensated on how much money they end up saving the organization, right? So they won't hit their bonuses. And sometimes they just bullshit so hard that you can end up telling. One of them came back to me pretty much quoting how they, they got other quotes and they can do it for a fraction of the cost. Literally, it was a fraction of the cost. So I was like, all right. So I looked at that number and I sat there on the phone with them and I was like, this ends up being around $20 an hour. That's a good deal. If you believe that you can pay someone who's of our quality and you can get it done for $20 an hour and they can do amazing results, you know, go for it. I don't know which, you know, well experienced person in this space would work for $20 an hour. You can go to Indeed and go look for any jobs. No one who has experience would do it. But hey, if you can get them to do it, by all means, you should sign up with them. And then the procurement's like, yeah, we're going to go with them. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, go with them. Let's see what happens. And a lot of times they just bullshit and they don't have the offers and they come back and they sign with you because they never had that in the first place. But they like pulling these tricks all the time. Procurement is a real is a real problem. There's a song by uh, Rage Against the Machine and I would have to listen to it before I go into a big account where I knew. Do you, do you listen to music? Your music? What What's your favorite uh, sort of music style? Almost anything. I listen to pretty much everything. But I know Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, so they have a song. I'm not going to sing it because I'm not a great singer, but, you know. Uh, so I'd listen over and over, and the lyrics just go, fuck you, I won't do what you told me. And that's not like, they don't say it just once. They say it like, a, that's the whole song, right? They say it a hundred times in the song, and it's got to have electric guitar, and it just sears in your mind. And I would have to listen to that, that song in which they say that line a hundred times over uh, before I'd go into an account where I knew that I would be needy. And, and... Uh, you know, a lot of it is just in your own head. If you could say no, that makes no sense. Why would we ever do that? Then you can, you know, have have some control. Um, the get, but getting into right earlier, you got to anchor high, and that's the big mistake that people make with Fortune 500 companies. You don't have to do that as much with SMBs and stuff like that, but with the large corporations, you know, they got procurement. You better anchor high just because they're going to try to beat you up for, for sure. And, and then if somebody says, Hey, we're collecting bids uh, and we're going through a process, we're going to the seven top firms, uh, seeing, getting a scope of work, you know, sending it up to committee, having a look at it, coming back around, getting to a, you know, a secondary level of the bake off so we can get a top two and then have our CEO decide what's your reaction to that. Sounds good. I know they're going to be more expensive than me, so I better anchor even higher. I guess, uh, or I would I mean, just price it like how I normally do with some wiggle room knowing procurement's going to beat me up. And my price is my price. You know, it doesn't matter if you're dealing with one of the big guys. I'm going to do my best, present. I would show that we're more personal because the bigger guys won't be able to show that and how you're getting a more personal experience and hands-on and how we take your account more serious and how with us, your account's important to you, is, your account is important to us. But with the other guys, you're just a number, you know, on their board and they have tons of you. So they're not going to really put in the time and effort to really keep you happy because if they lose you, they don't care. But with us, we value your business. So we're going we're gonna to really go above and beyond to satisfy you. But of course, I'm going to charge a premium for that as well. Fair enough. Uh, I would say come back later if you don't find the right people, but... That works too. Yeah. You uh, know better than me. That's why we hired you. <laughs> yeah, I think there's uh, – we get it into works it, for but, me but, won't always like, work for my reps, right? My reps right. can't say that to 
someone like I can because of my brand. And people already know I'm not rich, but I've done decently well where people know I don't need the money. Well, when a sales rep, they know they're making commission and all this stuff. So it's a little bit different. Um, and so my advice does not translate to, let's say, my sales reps. Hence, we work with people like you. Yeah. Well, I think that's good. I mean, I think just so we don't scare people um, with uh, going into a meeting with an air guitar and rage against the machine. Uh, I, I think the real tools are, truthfully, today is to say, hey, look, um, that's how the government buys toilets, not how you get an agency to help drive the revenue growth for your firm over the next 12 quarters. Okay. So if that's truly your process that you're looking for the lowest priced vendor who says they'll do some branding and some SEO, then you guys, if you don't find, you know, if you don't find the, the, I mean, uh, uh, the kinds of firms that participate in that process end up not being the firms that can actually do that work. If you actually want this done, right? Go get Ogilvy, go get publicists and bring us in. That's an actual comparison, not seven nearly identical firms to compare and contrast and shave numbers and try and get us to do work for $7 an hour. I like it. We can't comprehend what you're trying to do. And it's very weird. But it's it, not just that. What people get wrong on this whole process is Procurement, in most cases, does not decide which agency to go with. They have a say, but it's typically the people that you're working with who have a much larger say. They're the ones who tell procurement, we want to work with this company, go figure it out. That's typically yeah. what happens. So what you need to do is wow the people that you're working with on the presentation and your pitch. And look, procurement may push back. But you can push back because you know if you're one of the finalists or the finalist that they want to work with you. And when it's a big company with tons of profit, you know, someone produces 10, 15, 20 billion a year in profit. Does it really matter that much? Not so much in the grand scheme. As long as you're somewhat within budget, you're good. You just got to more so convince a person who you're working with that you're the right choice. It's yeah. not about convincing procurement. It's about convincing the people you're working with. Yeah, I love it. I think that's that's uh, absolutely correct. Um, I, since we have you, what's well, your style of doing blog posts, of doing videos, of presenting is to introduce some overarching thematic in what's happening in SEO, and then you produce numbers that um, you know sh that that plug into your theme and make the case for you that uh, the, the, the directional moves you've taken uh, are borne out in the numbers and the numbers tell you what to do next, especially in SEO, all right? Super compelling. Uh, I don't, you may have invented that style. You know, other people have adopted it. Maybe you took it from someone else and perfected it, but it's very good. Um, so, so can you describe that to us? And then my, where I wanna take this is, what do you do if you're in a business that doesn't naturally have uh, numbers to it, right? So if you're a psychologist, for example, right? Yep, I, so I get it. That's the style, right? And why you love it. And then sort of start, be empathetic and sympathetic and feel sorry for the people who have businesses that just, um, you know, want to be able to attract in your methodology because it's so compelling, but they don't have the opportunity to pull in numbers the way you do. Sure. So let's go over the number approach first. Yeah. I'm a big believer people, at least in B2B, they use data and numbers over emotions more. Not always the case, but data and numbers, typically with the bigger the companies, the more that they're really into it. So my model is I can break down a topic and use any data to show, hey, here's where you go and this is what the data is telling you. And these are the decisions you should make and why. Instead of making decisions based off your gut, you're making it based off the data and it tends to produce better results. And then you have all these case studies and more data points to essentially back it up. Now that's easy, anyone can do that. Here's the creative part. Let's say you're in a business that doesn't have the data, right? And let's say you're selling something that makes people feel good, okay? Like one of my buddies is selling um, meditation rooms. It's called Sanctuary. Yeah. Uh, meditation rooms within corporate offices. So he has a deal with Blackstone for the Sears Tower and a few others. You got to pitch, 
hey, you need this meditation room within your big you know, skyscraper building so that way people feel better, they can come to work, they're not gonna be as stressed out in this chaotic world. So when if I was creating content around that and pitch around that, I would actually try to produce experience. How can you show it? If it's in content, how can you show that through storytelling? How can you make people feel what you're trying to, you know, how can you get them to feel what you want them to, but over words, just like someone would be when they read a book, right? And then on the flip side, I would try to integrate uh, not just stories, but videos and case studies and imagery and sound to really get people to feel what you want them to feel. So let me, let me pull something out of that because we see a lot of pitches and when people find themselves in meditation, we've seen lots of that or dog food, you know, strawberry flavored dog food or psych psychological services or uh, um, uh, personality audits. I'm trying to think, you know what, water. Um, you know, we have a company that just has this incredible bottle. I don't know, you just want it. Like there's no numbers. Yeah, I, I, I bought volcano water the other day. I haven't bought it in a while. I was like, oh, cool, volcano water. Right. I ordered $100 worth from Amazon. Like, I just thought yeah. it was the coolest thing since sliced bread. Yeah, well, you, you say you're not rich, but apparently you have $100 too much, you know? So, um, but but what I see these, I want you to comment, what I see companies do is they, you know, they look at a Neil Patel video and they go, oh, and they try and translate meditation dog food, life water into numbers. And that's, that's where it goes horribly wrong. Yeah. So how, how in your mind do people decide that they're one of those two paradigms, which is emotion and they shouldn't screw with numbers at all, or they shouldn't mess too much with emotion and they should uh, try and drive from the logic flow. So the easiest way to think about it is how can you make it where you talk to potential customers and your existing customers and see what appeals to them? So I would start testing data approaches. I would test emotional approaches, see what resonates, and that'll give you direction on which way you should go. Um, funny enough, it's using a more of a data approach to come to that conclusion, but you'll know really quickly. Yeah. Storytelling. When you're using storytelling, test it out on people. Just like when you have a sales pitch. It doesn't matter who's teaching themselves unless they actually practice and try different pitches out. They want to know what's going to convert better. Sure, there's some best practices, but sometimes you just got to try stuff out. And sometimes when you try it out, you have to give it some time because it may take you some time to get confident telling that story or that vision. I think it's so important uh, that you you can't just blend all pitching styles or all sales styles to to um, you really have to figure out are you a logic approach or are you an emotional approach? Uh, just just to call you out here a little bit, so you get you know we introduce you to whoever Procter and Gamble. They're probably already one of your. So how many of the Fortune 500 do you already have as customers? I don't know, but a good amount. Good amount. All right. So I introduced you to Procter and Gamble. They they ramp you up right up to the West Coast president. And it's just this is really a Neil Patel pitch. It's not doesn't you know go down as good as your salespeople are, and there's some great people in there, amazing. But really, Neil Patel has to go give this right, and you and and you go in there, uh, and they say, hey Neil, just open it up, give the master opening to the pitch. We'll take over. But they really want to hear from you. What 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 does that pitch sound like? It's custom. I would go into the business, figure out their problems, look at it. Before I took the meeting, I would try to go and figure out what's wrong, where they're struggling, what are they trying to solve for, what are their goals, and I would adjust my pitch based on their pain points and break down all the issues and why they have the pain points, and I would even break down what they should do to solve it. Yeah. I wouldn't actually break down, hey, you can pay me and here's the cost. I would actually try to build a longer-term relationship. I'd be like, look, here are your problems. Here's what's causing you issues in the pain points. And here's how you should solve it. And here's some data that shows you that this is the best solution and why. So I think this is really so important. I mean, we're almost doing too much on this, this call, but this is so important. I think people, your style is 100% in my mind accurate here. Like here's the ideal. This is what you, no matter who you work with, me, you know, your cousin Jim, who just graduated Stanford yesterday, fucking publicist France. Like at this point, I don't actually care, right? 
who does this because I don't know enough. But based on what I'm seeing, and I see a lot of this, th this is the problem you're having, and this is the ideal that you need to reach, right? Can we do this for you? I don't know, maybe, probably, okay, you know, but, but I don't think we're there yet. Uh, but today, in order for you to compete against your peers, in order to meet a standard that is reasonable for a company of your strengths and, and capabilities and not be left behind, in the current generation of, you know, marketing and traffic, this is the ideal you have to reach and you have to reach it soon if you don't want to become a loser. And, uh, you know, would we throw our hat in the ring? Maybe, you know, let's see how this meeting goes. And I think that is the, uh, um, that's the standard you want to reach in these early stages of the presentation so you don't end up needy and pitchy and and everything like that and i'm hearing i mean did i hear did we pattern match correctly Is, are you yeah. saying the same thing that i'm saying yeah. yeah we are we're saying the same thing because the moment you pitch them it's just a sales pitch the moment yeah. you end up going there and you say these are your problems this is why these are solutions you know and then you ended at that if you did a good job they're going to be like no no how do we work together how do we solve this yeah we want to work with you so, and then you just turned it around on them. You're like, well, let's see if we're a good fit. You know, it depends on your resources, your budget, how quickly you want to move. Um, are we the right fit for it? Because maybe you're looking for things that we can't do. And we got to figure all that out before we get to the next steps of a proposal. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like uh, a lot of salespeople remind me of the meme like, hey, I'm looking for my next toxic relationship. Where are you? <laughs> Where are you? Yeah. I know you're out there somewhere. So uh, let's flip it around. You buy a lot of stuff. I mean, well, I don't know that. I know at least you buy water. But I'm assuming you got 459, you know, people doing stuff. You have to buy things. What? And so people come and pitch you. What do you like? What are the just the easy self-inflicted wounds that people make when they come pitch you stuff? Um, not much. I don't, I don't actually buy that much myself. Um, but I do get people pitching me stuff and every once in a while I'll respond to people. Like someone's like, Neil, your YouTube thumbnails suck. You can get so much traffic if yeah. they're better. Here's some examples. I'm like, cool. I'm like, Hey, let's get on a call. And, uh, how much would it cost for you to solve this? And, uh, they never responded to me. I was like, and I even followed up with them and I'm like, this is stupid. You did outbound sales and you didn't even follow up. And then eventually I gave it to one of my guys. I'm like, fix it. And they're like, okay, sounds good. Um, they were just a little bit more creative and cutting edge on what some of the things they were testing. And, uh, and I was like, huh, it works. Uh, and we tried it out. It worked for like uh, a week to a month and then it stopped working. I was like, eh, we tried it. Um, sometimes things work, sometimes they don't. But I'm a big believer. I'm open to any pitch. I don't care if someone cold outreach to me or I see an ad online. If you can solve a problem that I have right now, I'm all for it. Like if someone said, I'm building a house in Vegas. If someone said, hey, Neil, for the same price, we can get your house built double as fast. I'd be like, uh, let's get on the phone and let's get this house built. Like, how are you going to do it and prove to me that you can actually do it and you're not full of crap? So that's interesting. And then so let's let's trigger off of this full of crap uh, business. How, in our industry, when people come to talk to me about finance and they tell me about their company, right, I can just see through what they're saying into the numbers because I worked as an analyst for 10 years and I built very complex spreadsheets that are like the matrix. So when they say, <laughs> right, so, so when they say things like, oh, we have um, 20, you know, $20 million of ARR and 92% margin and 0.02% churn rate uh, and we're growing 50% year over year and um, we're raising $2 million. Like th these numbers don't actually work together in a base 10 spreadsheet. Like there's no company that has ever done that successfully before. And you idiots are definitely not the first one. In marketing or SEO or traffic, what's the equivalent of the, the like the things you hear from people that you could just, because you're so inside of it, you just see right through them and go, yeah, that's not happening. My favorite is, is people tell me like, Hey, you know, we found another website online. They can get rankings and they'll guarantee it only $295 a month. And when I say that, I'm like, great. You know, if you believe that someone can guarantee ranking on Google when they don't control the algorithm, you should go sign up with them. And uh, you got my number when things don't work out. 
you know, I'm like, I'm not trying to be rude and I'll tell them that. I'm like, I really do hope it works out, but I just know it won't because I've been in this space too long. You can't guarantee something you can't control. Can you guarantee that I'll fly? Nah, you don't control that. So what are some other things you hear that you just, because you're in the business, you just, you just know numerically the numbers don't work. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes people end up telling me, um, Hey, you know, I can go scale this up and make a killing and we can like 10 X the volume on Facebook or Google and crush our campaigns. And we have infinite budgets. And I'm like, not really. You're competing with other people, but, uh, inventory is limited because there's always companies willing to spend more. And I look at some of these businesses, I'm like your conversion rates aren't high enough. There's no way it's going to scale up and actually hit these numbers in a profitable way. But if you think you can do it, go and do it. And, and so is, yeah, hundred percent. So is where a lot of these companies go to die is they sort of get some early success. They get some good conversion. You know, they buy some keywords, get some traffic, and then they, then, you know, they take sell a D two through sell D80 and just drag it out two years and go, we're a $30 million company, right? Yes. Why, and why doesn't those yeah. changes when you do that? And I'm like, there's so many variables that change. So what's happening, what's changing in, you know, the good talking about the Google algorithm, what's changing in it. And, and also on top of that, um, is Facebook going to go to search and when they do, what will the game look like? So I'll answer the second one first. Facebook has already tried to go to search and they haven't done well with it. Uh, people don't know Facebook for search, but they do search within Instagram or Facebook, but it's not a popular feature, uh, you know, compared to people just looking at their walls. So search, yes, they do search, but they're not going to do search like Google will. What's changing on Google is you already know everyone's using these mobile devices. But because of that, speed really matters how fast your website loads. And because there's so many sites competing for the same keywords now, Google's not just looking at algorithms like whose code is better or you know who has a faster loading site. They're looking at which site solves the problems for the users better than the other ones. They're looking at user experience or people clicking the back button, going to the next listing because they couldn't find what they're looking for. So they're really trying to go above and beyond and satisfy the user. So it's not just about quote unquote pleasing Google in marketing. It's about pleasing the user first. Then, then, so if, uh, so if you look at someone like Casper, right? So if you start a betting company, then you're going to go boom and run right into Casper and Casper has raised a lot of money and they're shipping $300, you know, inside of every mattress. Um, but they're just doing it with AdWords, right? So they're paying more for the, for the links. Um, what's, you know, what spaces are going to be open if sort of every DTC, like, what are you seeing? Well, well eventually people come down to reality. So yeah. if you look at Casper, and that's a great example, Casper has terrible economics. Go look at their yeah, earnings terrible. stock, right. terrible. And they've had for ages and they raised too much money and they had to burn too much money to keep the growth. It's better, they, they would have been better off being a much smaller private company with less revenue, way less raise and have not as crazy growth and just print cash and be profitable. So eventually shit hits reality and these people do start cutting back because Yes, Google's making the money now because companies want to grow and hit numbers, but eventually that game stops. People have to print a profit, and if they don't, they're going to go out of business. So you should do whatever you can that is profitable, and don't worry if other people are willing to lose money. That's their business. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Google, big as them, but who cares? You'll be in business longer. Eventually those guys go bankrupt in most cases. Not all, but most. So has, has every interesting, has every DTC thing that can be done already been done? You know, toothpaste, toothbrush, do, you know, dog food, uh, beds, bedding, sheets, furniture, like it's, you know, there's most have, but it doesn't mean that there can't be more, but most have. Yes. There's always going to be new products, new technology that comes around that you can sell through D to C. Uh, but right now most have doesn't mean that there's not room and space in there to actually continually do better in the long run. Okay. But you, but you're, you've got a services firm. So the guy who knows how to sell products better than anyone else in the world has a services firm. What does that tell us? Well, I would go sell products, but I don't like the logistics of it. I think it's a pain in the butt to deal with inventory, but we've actually looked at acquiring product-based companies. We actually what? put out a few offers, but some didn't go through. They just wanted more than we were willing to pay. 
what what area what areas did you like um there was a razor company that was going against manscaped where we thought we could do really well there was a hearing aid company that i was looking at um that i can i thought we could do really well and these are saturated spaces but there's just so much room to even grow these companies because the tams are so big that we thought it'd be amazing but you know, I'm a big believer in you stay patient and you only do a deal if it's right for you. Uh, what I look for is not how saturated space is. I look for fragmented spaces with big TAMs because that means there's opportunity and room for you. Awesome. That's so good. Now, I started this off saying, hey, you know, you're kind of a kingmaker because if you really do pay attention to, I don't know, this fucking thing. Uh, solid state, disk A, SSD, SATA, 3D, nano, whatever it is, who cares, right? If you decide like that's your thing, right? Yeah. Your son picks one up and he goes, data, data, right? And his first words were around this and you find him sleeping with it and you're like, oh my God, I got to help it, whatever. Who gives a fuck, right? But you decide you're you're going to do this. Then then you can king make these guys with traffic and SEO and you can do your magic. Let's just take that as a, as a given because I know you can. But. There's things, you know, that are happening in the world, water, poverty, uh, cyber security, uh, some things we've done, you know, a light, uh, uh, Africa, we did one, uh, in Africa, what happens is the young kids use kerosene to, as lighting source to study at night. And then young women maybe have to walk a mile or two away from their home at night to get a lighting source that's strong enough for them to study and do their work or plug in their laptop. So we did a project that uses that that gets uh, charges batteries from sunlight, so um, they don't have to burn kerosene because kerosene is like the worst stuff that you can use to create light, other than like a hand grenade, right? It's just terrible. Uh, and so we try and use our magic here for from time to time for things that matter for the greater community. So do you feel pulled into that stuff, or do you feel like? The, um, it's all got to be, and this is a fair point, it's all just got to be economics, right? No. So we look at it as the core business has to run on economics and then you take a portion or some or all, whatever you're feeling like, um, we take a portion and then we try to do good with it. Um, I say we try to do good with it because we're not on the ground in places like Africa or India with programs that we help out, but we're hoping that the people that we give the money to, it actually helps. And in many cases, we also do stuff within the continental United States as well. Um, but wherever we find opportunities, um, like my wife just did a program last week, uh, or was it the week before, with back to school and teachers going. And she's like, look, I, I, as a teacher, if you're going to be short supplied on supplies and she got a ton of inquiries she's just like let us know we'll buy you your supplies for your students and stuff because we know that a lot of people have suffered from COVID. so it's just like whatever appeals to my wife or me or whatever appeals to our team members uh we try to really encourage and we try to help out because you know how many new cars do you need or how big of a home do you really need there's other people who are oh struggling. new cars how many new cars do you need hold on, i'll tell you right now 115 um 23 no but no uh, so, so yeah, so you put all the maladies there are in the world, like sickness, pestilence, like the eight plagues, and then you just spin the dial and it lands on one. Uh, it's, it's, it's <laughs> what, what relates to people that I know or me or my wife and we and, pick those. And then, uh, we try not to pick two big ones. And here's what I mean by that. Yeah. There's some organization that are trying to do a cure for cancer. It's amazing. They need the money but I personally am not rich enough to actually make a dent in that, right? I, like, it, it, I try it, to fix stuff that we can make a dent in. Let me say something. So we work at a cancer research lab, right? And literally the guys inside the lab, they'll get like, uh, you know, $4,500, right? From, Seriously? So, so, well, no, they're like, somebody will do a charity. This is- Which is great, it's better than nothing. This sounds, this sounds terrible, but it will help you put it in context for people who give, okay? So somebody will do an event and they'll give the proceeds, and it's a two-day event, and they'll do a bake sale or whatever, and they'll give the proceeds to this cancer research, and it'll go down to the lab. And I know the guys in the lab who are trying to raise money. And they're like, thanks, motherfucker, for the $4,500. Like, you just bought one rat tail, right? That's like, it doesn't, we are not going to cure cancer with the ability to buy one more rat tail a year. Uh, and and so that, like, it's, it's not just that you aren't deciding to take on something too big 
Like it takes real money to run a cancer lab. And, you know, you can run a bake sale in your neighborhood for the next year and make not, not to be mean, but no difference there. So you do have to pick yeah. somewhere where you can make a difference. No, you're spot on. So the way I look at it is cancer is just as important as poverty and a lot of the other things out there. It's too hard for me to decide which ones are more important. But my wife and I look at it as like, can we actually make an impact? And if we can't, can we get other people around us and give enough to make an impact? And if we can't do that, we pick the stuff that we can make an impact. And what I'm hoping is the Bill Gates of the world and the Jeff Bezos, they're picking the initiatives that can make an impact that right. people need can't make a dent in. Right. Let Bill Gates figure cancer out. Like he has the, the he can actually succeed at it. You can't, can't but, yeah. but I feel pulled in and this is my, my just two quick questions. But I'll do the marketing for it. Like that's if, what if, I'm if, saying. If, like I feel we'll the marketing will help. What, so we'll, we'll do our part and we'll help yeah. where we can. I, right. I just, yes, I, I want to spend the time and be productive instead of spending time in it, just spinning wheels and not do anything for these organizations, but we will help. Like we did some with like liver transplant companies or organizations where we're like, look, our money won't do much, but yeah. I'll spend money on marketing to bring awareness, which will then get you way more money than what I can bring. And that'll help you out. So, yeah. Well, I, I agree. So I have my name on some multi-billion dollar projects that I couldn't like my m money would be, well, first of all, if I get money, it would reduce, you know, the number of cars I could buy. Uh, but also it just wouldn't make a, you know, it wouldn't make a dent in anything you're doing, but where I can make a dent is their presentation is just, terrible and uh, there's something we can we can meaningfully move them forward with uh, you know in a multi-billion dollar project and that that creates an impact um hey neil I, uh i know you're getting the hook on time me as well tell us about your son please so tell my son you. he's almost two months old now his name is william and uh he cries a lot at night and i love you, that stuff are you changing diapers i am uh, yeah so you're like a um I'm an actual dad, dad that does work. <laughs> you're a dad. You're a dad, dad. Yes. I try. And, I think my job is much easier than the mother. So I try to help as much as I can. And your daughter? She's two years old. Yeah. What does she do? Where does she work? She works digital. And uh, she's an artist. She likes finger painting and creating messes in the kitchen. And for your kids. So uh, I'm, most of the people I work with, for better or worse, are very well positioned in life. And they have really divergent views on what they want to give their kids, right? And some are like, I'm not going to leave them any money. My kids are going to work. They're going to work. They're, they're going to work. They're going to, um, they're not going to live off of me. I was raised in a garbage can. You know, I had it tough. Uh, you know, Gary Vonerchuk, you know, we had to go out with my dad and, and scrubbing garbage cans for dinner, you know, at night. And, uh, and then I have other guys who are like, you know, I grew up in a trailer, you know, my kid is growing up in a 10,000 square foot house and I bought him, you know, his first jet ski when he was four and I don't care. I'm just going to spoil him because I can. We're the opposite. We're more of uh, you know, love you will guide you and give you the t the tools you need and the knowledge you need to try to succeed. And we'll do our best on that end. But you got to go and figure it out on your own and we're not giving you money. I'll pay yeah, for the college, you know, like I'll do stuff like that or I'll pay for the education. Um, I'll get them a used car to get to school, <laughs> you know, but like uh, I'll even pay for the living for school, things like that. But like, you want a home, go buy it yourself. You want to go to Italy and travel the world, go do it yourself. Like you want a Ferrari, Go buy yourself. If you want even a Mercedes or a Tesla? Go buy it yourself. Man, you, you are mean. On purpose, go buy it yourself. At my son's school, they did an exercise. He's six to seven. He's seven, six, seven. And they go, uh, the exercise was you had to write down what your happy place is. Your happy place. And some of the kids go, my reading nook at home, in my mom's arms, at the library. My son writes, the Lamborghini factory. <laughs> so he, uh, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm just like you, except I'm a quarter million dollars into my son's racing career, you know, and he's six. So, and he also, he would, uh, if you left him alone in our kitchen for a couple days with a fridge full of food, he would starve. So <laughs> different, I love it. different styles. There's not one way of doing things. Neil, thank you so much for spending 
your time here today. I feel like I learned a lot about you that we didn't get from all of your videos and I appreciate you sharing another side of you that maybe we don't always get to see. And definitely the, um, the takeaways in terms of marketing and sales and revenue growth are meaningful. I heard some things that I know, but I know make a difference in businesses. I heard some things I didn't know. And, and so for example, when I say things that will make a difference in your business, like anchor high when you're going to enterprises, that if you're a SME, that could double your revenue, just that alone in the next 12 months. So there's some real stuff here. I really appreciate you sharing what I feel is um, things that will meaningfully move businesses forward. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun. All right. We'll see you next time. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening. And be sure to stay tuned for more great content from Oren Claff. If you want to get daily insights and additional assets, go to orenclass.com slash daily and sign up for a seven-day trial of The Daily Dealmaker. See you next time.